Hi, I'm Rachel Sala. And hi, I'm Natalie Lawhead. And I'm Jim Stormancer, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Rachel, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Hi, I'm Rachel Salop. I am a game developer who has lived in Los Angeles for all my life, I guess. But worked on a bunch of games, including with Jim, and I also help manage a co-working space in Los Angeles, an e-dev co-working space called Glitch City which you can check out online at Glitch City LA. Because Glitch City isn't a physical place for as long as this disease is running rampant. Yeah, it's been kind of a bummer, and we're like kind of coming up with plans and like what to do as things progress on and we can't use the space. It's, it's troublesome. We're going to try to... We're putting together a fundraiser. Probably going to try to sell game bundles. So that's something we're discussing right now, but we're doing some research on how to distribute those. Probably with Itch.io. That sounds good. That sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, Natalie, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Uh, yeah, I'm Natalie, and I go by Alien Melon Online, and I make art games. And my most recent one is called The Electric Zine Maker, and you can make zines with it. So it's fun. You can check it out if that sounds interesting. It is a very fun tool. I haven't, I, I guess I checked this out like a year and a half ago, and it was a very fun tool then. I assume it's only gotten more fun. Yeah, it has a lot of much more weird uh, tools in it, like uh, fluid dynamics and you can splash around in your artwork and just kind of really bizarre and dumb things you can do with you know art so that's really cool people like it i'm very happy yeah are you ready to start on some topics yeah. yes i love topics so rachel your topic is if there was another animal that was horse-sized and rideable what would you want it to be <laughs> yeah i i've read a lot of like I guess people call it speculative fiction, where it's like, oh, in this world, instead of having riding, like, ride horses, you have, like, riding dogs. Dogs, like, already come in, like, very large sizes, but in addition to being, like, you know, like, tiny little, like, teacup poodle to, like, Great Danes, which are pretty big, they're, like, horse-sized. So you could have, like, a full horse-sized dog and just, like, ride it around. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. But I'm thinking of also, like, the mount system in World of Warcraft, where you could, like, ride all kinds of wacky things. And I don't know. I kind of wonder how human civilization would have been different if, instead of horses. I don't know. We had, like, really big birds. Like, you know, just imagine, like, a rideable chicken. How would our civilization <laughs> be different? Because, like, right now, you know, horses are, like, a companion animal. We think chickens be kind of, like, dumb and silly, but cute and fun still. Don't get me wrong. But, like, it could also be, like, a more vicious bird, you know, like, kind of like an offshoot of the ostrich, sort of. Like... Something like that. They actually are like built for running. Would that be an interesting riding companion? Or be something, you know, like a giant rat and you just like ride around on a giant rat. They're like, that'd be pretty cool. That'd be, that could be dope. Rats are pretty cute and they're like clever and they'll eat basically everything and they have like, you know, little nimble paws so they can probably like, go over more rough terrain than a horse. I, I'm just excited by the idea of like large animals that are normally very small. I, I was, th when you mentioned World of Warcraft, I was thinking about the, the, um, mechanical bird that the gnomes ride hell yeah it made me think about like if we rode birds in our uh ancestral environment maybe instead of cars we would just invent mechanical birds to ride around instead and they'd be they'd be uh <laughs> lauded as being cleaner and safer well not actually improving our lives in any way i would have to go though with like having grown up watching like when i was five i loved the show he-man the most testosterone-filled uh, <laughs> uh, Saturday morning cartoon available. And He-Man rides a... Uh, I'm not sure if it's it's supposed to be a tiger, but it's a big cat of some kind. His name's Cringer. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if his name changes to something else when he... One of the gimmicks of that show is that both He-Man and his cat transform into buff versions of themselves who are no longer scared and, and uh, then they save the day. And I think Cringer is the name of the scared form of the cat. And then he turns into some muscular, confident cat, <laughs> much like uh, Prince What's-His-Face turns into He-Man, a muscular, Adam. confident man. Right. Yeah. You know more about the show than me. I gotta be honest, I know all of this because um, I, I've seen the He-Man Sings video, which, which is the true center of the internet. I've watched that probably a thousand times. Uh-huh. And I don't know if you've seen the full thing with the intro, but the intro is all the names of the characters and stuff. I don't think I, yeah, I don't think I've seen oh, that one. I'll have to send it to you after this. It's very good. Anyway, what I'm getting at is that I would want to ride a house cat, except the house cat is enormous. Hell yeah. Would it be all house cat breeds? So they have like like uh, the orange tabbies and uh, big fluffy ones. Get like a Norwegian map, uh, forest cat, but it's like horse sized. Yes, I definitely want to ride a Norwegian forest cat. <laughs> nice. So fluffy. I feel like I'm really stuck on the idea of chickens. Like if chickens were giant and we would ride them and civilization would like have grown up with chickens rideable, would we treat chickens the same way as we did horses? Like have chicken contests and how glorious chickens are and kind of like this obsession with chickens and then unicorn chickens and all that? I'm pretty sure there's like fancy breeds of chickens that are bred to look very fancy and not to... um not to lay eggs. They don't lay eggs all that much, but they're very fancy. Like, if you look at Polish chicken, they have, like, beautiful afros. They're very silly. I'm Yeah, I've seen some very gorgeous chickens. I, di- I didn't know. They're Polish, you said? Yeah, Polish. Do you think the Poles rode chickens? Oh, I hope so. A hundred years ago? I hope so. Instead of having cars? Yeah, me too. Because that's the only way I can think of to explain this. I hope the chicken unicorn also exists in Poland as well. We should see if see if the Witcher covers this valuable uh, valuable cultural asset. If you have like some like chickeny monsters, like the basilisk, I think is half chicken, like part chicken, oh, yeah. part snake. Would they like still lay eggs? You think? Like, would you get like a single giant egg every single day from your riding chicken, and would you eat it? I think you would have to. I think the the chicken would would stare at you and wait for you to eat it. Mm-hmm. Just, why aren't you eating the egg yet? Oh. My question is, would they still be able to fly if they were that size? Can they fly now? I mean, they're not really good at it. Yeah, I guess not. They can fly just very poorly. Um, my parents have chickens, and they're not good at it. But, you know, they can, they can go over a fence. It's very irritating when they do that. You're just like, okay, I gotta <laughs> hop the fence and collect my chicken. Don't mind me, it's just me and my chicken. Who got away from me. They're good pets, though. They just kind of, like, chill out, eat bugs and vegetable scraps. So it's definitely going to fly when it's... It'll it'll leap over uh, enormous fences. Castle walls. There you go. That's right, yeah. That's how how I'm going to do the siege later. And you need to have, like, uniforms for them and helmets, like, you know, how people dress up horses. Right, yeah. Nail some metal to their feet. (laughs) It's for their own protection. Socks. (laughs) Socks. <laughs> and yes, I love the idea of chicken socks. It's extremely good. <laughs> so that segues very nicely into our next topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Natalie, your topic is, would Jurassic Park be the same if dinosaurs were depicted as giant birds instead of giant lizards? And can you, you even be afraid of fluffy dinosaurs? 
Also, would your first instinct to really be to run away from a fluffy dinosaur? I would be terrified of fluffy (laughs) dinosaurs, for the record. I definitely think so. Also, because it's like, think of a lion, like a male lion. That is a very fluffy animal. And he's terrifying. (laughs) You don't want to mess with him. And just because he's like big and fluffy doesn't mean a good thing. And also, I think people understand like... Like a threat display, like that Australian frilled lizard, you know, when it goes up and like flares at you, it's like, oh, that's scary. <laughs> and also like yeah. parrots, parrots are very scary. <laughs> They're very smart. They, are. <laughs> they basically have a pair of fl- pliers instead of a face and they get, they're fluffy. Right. They'll like, they'll fluff at you. And you're just like, oh no, she's mad at me. I'm going to get bit. And that's like a two pound animal. Versus like, oh, this is a 200-pound fluffy animal with huge claws and teeth. And it's also mad at me. So especially they can have like really interesting coloration, I think. Like there's some, there's some scary colors. Like black iridescent feathers or maybe like, I don't know, really brightly lit throat or something. Oh, I can think of so many ideas. I love paleo art that has like <laughs> colorful, terrifying dinosaurs. I, am, I wish they would do it. <laughs> I wish they'd remake it. Yeah, I mean, if Steven Spielberg can change shotguns to flashlights in E.T., he can fix the dinosaurs to have feathers in Jurassic Park. Make them very fluffy and round, like a contender for the round animals, Twitter. Oh, Yes, make them into burbs. I mean, hedgehogs are basically perfectly round and they're frightening because they're so pointy. <laughs> I'm perfectly round like Velociraptor, though. <laughs> I guess technically Velociraptors are like house cat sized, right? They're real small. But there's other like large raptory dinosaurs like Deinonychus and stuff, right? Uh, how big are they? Man sized, like the way the Velociraptors are in Jurassic Park. But the actual like species of Velociraptor, I think they're like house cats. But right. they didn't think they'd be scary. So they're like, let's make them big. And then they discovered other species like right after that movie came out. That was kind of like a mind fuck for me as like a kid. I was real mad. I'm like, you mean Velociraptors are small? This is the most frightening <laughs> thing in my entire childhood. And they're small. They don't even exist. Ah. Yeah, I guess when it was a really big dinosaur, like man-sized, being perfectly round, that would also be very scary because it's like, that's a very round animal. <laughs> too round. It would be kind of a lot, I think. But it also might be a little hard to resist your just like smash your face into them and be like, so fluffy! <laughs> I'm just thinking this, there's like large, frightening, fluffy animals. You're like bison and lions again. They're very scary. <laughs> they don't look nice. I feel like it would if it would eat me, I wouldn't be able to be mad at it because it would be so cute. Yeah. You'd be uh, you'd be like rolling around in its stomach, like uh, like when the dragon <laughs> eats you in adventure, and you'd be like, "This thing's adorable." Yeah. <laughs> Just give it a hug from the inside. Uh, how big do you think Pom Pom from Homestar Runner is? Oh, that's a good question. Oh man, I always kind of assumed Homestar was like default adult human size, so somewhere around like five eight, five ten, and Pom Pom's bigger. So pom-pom's yeah. probably seven feet tall, at least, and then perfectly round. Yeah, seven-foot diameter sphere, you think? Mm-hmm. That seems about right. Yeah. I, I'm processing the idea of them being about human size, because when I see cartoons, I always imagine them kind of like half a person's size. Human size seems a very excessive already, so it's like extra large. <laughs> so if they're like half size, that means pom-pom would be like, Three and a half feet in diameter, maybe? Does that sound reasonable? Because I'm okay with that idea also. 
Yeah, it'd be like a beach ball. Uh-huh. I, I, what are they called? They're like for Pilates. And some people sit on them for their posture instead of a chair. Oh, yeah. I don't know what you call those, but I know what you, you know mean. You're talking about, though? Like, yeah, probably about that size. But pom-pom would probably not very like it, like it very much if you tried to sit upon them. That's still a very cute size. So, Nettle, you were saying that uh, before the show that um, you were inspired to ask this question by your, your new parrot. Do you want to talk about your new parrot? Oh, yeah. She's really cute. She's like, um, literally, whenever you have a parrot, they're like tiny dinosaurs. They're kind of, the beak is really intimidating. And like, she's so smart. It's freaky. Like, she'll watch you open the cage door, and then she's going to try start trying to do it, like, right away. Right. Yeah, they're pattern matchers. Yeah. <laughs> Are you ready for another topic? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, my topic is daylight savings time abuse in speed runs. I wanted to talk about, uh, I found out recently that uh, in, in the game Super Mario Odyssey, there are certain goals that uh, you can accomplish that require a certain amount of real-time waiting. So, uh, if you plant a seed, you have to wait 20 minutes for it to grow and then you collect the moon that comes out of, this, out of the plant. Um, and so, when the, the, the world record route currently has one of those moons in it, and the way that uh, they handle it is that before they start the run, they set the system clock to like <laughs> 15 minutes before midnight, a uh, daylight savings time is about to switch over. And then they have a, like a, they have like a 10 second window to plant the seed. Uh, and then before the um, daylight savings time sends the clock an hour ahead and the plant grows immediately. And I just thought that was an extremely clever abuse of our cultural definition of, how, of what time is. That's like a really smart way of winning a game. You know, like you're using your environment at that point and gaming some kind of really dumb and arbitrary system in order to win something like that. And that's right. That's what speedruns are all about. It's like people at the time skip an Animal Crossing. It's like, <laughs> hell yeah, you got this. Right, right. It weirded me out when... When Animal Crossing launched, there were websites all that already had like all the information about like what all the holidays were and what every season's fish and bugs were. And the only way they could have collected it is by just setting their system clock ahead and just gathering all the information throughout the year, throughout the fake year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's been also like a lot of really heavy data biting in terms of like how to grow flowers and your rates of getting whatever a, I don't, I don't know. I have it time skipped myself and I don't, I don't care if people do or not, but I'm like, you know what? I'm just, just going to take this, you know, day at a time, collect my rocks. It's already like, I already spent too much time playing it. I don't, I don't also need to like do all the events at once, you know? <laughs> right. I also wanted to segue into, um, there was an event that, I used to do every year and I've kind of fallen off because my tools aren't good enough. The uh, the Zero Hour Game Jam, which is run by Sos Sosowski, every year before during the daylight savings time switchover, uh, the idea is that you start making a game when it's 2 a.m. and then an hour later it's 2 a.m. again and you've made a game in zero hours. <laughs> and when I was working in Flash, my tool, my, my um, iteration and tool chain were very fast to work with and I was able to, there were five years in a row where I feel like I did really interesting stuff in, in that scale. Um, and then when I switched over to Unity, 
this, everything just got slowed down so much that it's it's really hard for me to imagine making anything worthwhile in that amount of time. So I kind of got discouraged. But like maybe uh, maybe if I did something in like Pico Eight instead, I think that would be a good uh, a, a nice rapid iteration kind of tool chain. Does that it? Does that still run? And do people make stuff in Unity for it? Or I don't know if they do. That's a good question. I um, whenever I would play the games that that uh, were made in for for that jam, I played them on the web. I just would click a link and play the game on the website and. I have a hard time imagining that someone would get Unity web export working in an hour. <laughs> yeah, I haven't I haven't really I haven't really checked out any games in that from that jam since I stopped doing it myself. Natalie, have you used you used Flash for a long time? Do you still use it? Yeah, I still use it. I mean, it's I love it and kind of like for the work I do, I don't really care what anyone thinks about what I use or it my uh, tool base or whatever is so weird anyway. Yeah. Like I use what I like. So yeah. Do you use the um, Adobe Flash editor, the animator and the IDE that they, that they ship or? I use Animate for it and it still supports Air and uh, Flash exports. Yeah. So you are you exporting to SWF or, or like an Air executable? Yeah. Uh, packaging it as Air. Okay. Yeah that, yeah. that makes sense. That seems like a, at that point you're, you don't have to worry about like browser support going away. You just, uh, I'm, I, I've, I doubt that they're going to stop supporting air anytime soon. I mean, it's been interesting to watch. It's like, uh, Harman just took it over and they are releasing regular updates for it and fixing longstanding bugs. So, I mean, it's kind of like it has this small community of very passionate people, which I really prefer over other things. Like I like small niche, passionate communities. Like if I weren't doing stuff in Flash, I would probably try Doom mods or oh, sure. NES or Game Boy or whatever, because it's, it's, it's fun to be around people like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's always motivating to be in a, in a community of the right size. Like, I feel like Unity, I've been using it because I kind of am making games that demand that kind of performance, but I really do miss uh, just the Flash was such a good fit for like how I think about games, how I think about how game engines work. It was uh, it's frustrating to have to leave it behind. Yeah, it's interesting how a lot of people tried making replacements for it, but no one's ever really managed to really get it, get why it worked, you know? Like I just tried I just started playing around with Tumult Hype, which is what kind of called itself as another Flash killer. With all these replacements, it's kind of like they don't really get why people loved it and what drew them into it to begin with. It's it's a big philosophical loss with Flash going away. Yeah, it's frustrating. Are you ready for another topic? Yeah. Yeah. So this is a write-in. Brad asks, hands-free browsing seems great until you sneeze and close all your tabs. <laughs> I do think it's an interesting... Like, I have... And I don't know how much of this is like just comfort with having done it for decades, but I actually really like mouse and keyboard as an interface and other interfaces that like, like voice or touch screen have or touch or even like a touch pad while they are convenient in some respects, like they just, they fall short significantly when you're trying to actually get serious work done. 
like when you're when you're trying to do more than the most basic stuff um and it's exactly stuff like this where it's just not precise enough yeah i wonder sometimes if we're if we're getting old or if that's really true like the whole way computers are set up as you looking at a monitor and the way to interact is with the keyboard and mouse is just just how I don't know where I'm getting with that. So someone else answer. <laughs> well, I, I think um, the idea uh, is compelling that like we're, we like this stuff just because we're accustomed to it. But there's also the, the fact that like we've built it up as a tool set over decades. Like as a culture, we've learned how to use these tools and we've built software around using these tools and the touchpad or the touchscreen are just not as mature. And so like maybe after the touchscreen has been around for as a, as a common form of UI for 40 years or whatever, then it might be different. But um, my guess is not. My guess is that like the, uh, the keyboard is going to be useful for a long time for tasks like programming, especially. Yeah. Also like touchscreens have their place, but like a nice mechanical keyboard just has a good feel to it, you know, and they can't do that with a touchscreen. It's just like, it feels like it's just like you're making like, you know, thunderous, like clack, clack, clack. You're just like, oh, this feels incredible. <laughs> I love this. It's hard to not have that. Like granted, I'm like on a laptop right now typing and that's like a sponge, but I also have like a nice mechanical keyboard and boy, howdy, is it loud? And boy, howdy, do I love it. <laughs> this juicy feedback. <laughs> yeah, it's like, the feedback is nice, and also, like, touchscreens have the problem where, like, human hands are disgusting, and then the screens become disgusting, <laughs> and it's just, like, this perpetual, like, you just look at the screen, you're like, this is disgusting. Like, I don't know if you all have, like, taken a call on your cell phone, which I know is wild, but then, like, you, like, pull it away from your head, and there's, like, a disgusting ear print, you're like, I am nasty! Yeah, yeah. I am a horrible, greasy ape. And I guess, like, the fact that there's, like, keyboards and mice, you don't have to interact with the screen, so you don't have to see how filthy you are constantly. <laughs> if you've ever opened up a keyboard, they're, uh, they're, they're fantastic mirrors to how filthy, filthy we are as well. Oh, but I don't have to see that every day. It's just, like, a, that's a once in a while, just horrible treat. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah, that's another thing that, that bothers me about a touchscreen. And I've talked about this before, but they always it always feels like smooth glass which is not a great kinesthetic experience mm -hmm. even a you know you talked about a mechanical keyboard mechanical keyboards are great but even like a regular membrane keyboard still feels like something it still like feels like your hands are actually doing something meaningful mm -hmm. when you touch your letters but i do feel like even the mouse and keyboard in a in a real sense are a step back from the kind of craftsmanship where you might have a dozen tools to do to build whatever it is you're building or and they all feel different under your hands and they all have, have a different kinesthetic experience yeah i mean my last smartphone actually had a both a glass back and a glass front and it was horrible it felt so bad <laughs> i bought a case purely so i wouldn't have to be constantly touching glass because it just felt terrible was the glass back also like a touch interface? No, or? they're just like, mm, you know, it's cool glass back. And I was just like, why? You're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like reading reviews online because I didn't realize this when I bought the phone. People were like, oh yeah, it's awful. Uh, get a get a case. Yeah. <laughs> it's like good to have a case anyway because I drop it, you know, like like people do. 
but you know, it was still kind of a bummer. Yeah, this conversation is making me want to start a bunch of hobbies where I'm touching weird things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like to cook, so I'm, I'm often like cut, touching like mysterious oh, peppers yeah. and such. And I have made the mistake of cutting a hot pepper, then like touching my eye and being like, "Oh, the pain!" <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that, that's a that's, that's a fun texture. That's a unique kinesthetic experience. Yes. I almost recommend it over touching glass. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember um, I read some a chart someone had made of like they had gotten stung by a bunch of different kinds of stinging insects and just had written a review of each one. <laughs> and the, the the less painful ones actually sounded kind of refreshing. Like, oh, this is I would go for that. <laughs> I would I would try that experience. I know the chart you're talking about. It's like the something sting in index, something like that. Now I'm curious. I need to look it up. It seems right. But yeah, I've seen that chart before. And sometimes like the descriptions are like really something. I think they especially more painful yeah. ones. It's like tart, crisp, much like the devil has visited me. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> 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 That's horrifying. The Schmidt uh, the Sting Schmidt. Pain Index. There you go. Yeah. yeah I've seen this before because there's like reading about terrible things animals can do. You know, it's fascinating. Pain level one is described as almost pleasant. A lover just bit your earlobe a little too hard. <laughs> the, the sting of the sweat bee is described as light, ephemeral, ephemeral almost fruity. <laughs> a tiny spark has singed a hair, single hair on your arm. See, I, I would like... That sounds nice. I would, yeah, exactly. I would do that right now. <laughs> now I'm reading the, the descriptions of some of these things. I'm like, mm, no thanks. I don't need to feel these. Okay, all right. Yeah, give me give me an example of one that you don't want. Bullet ant. Pure, intense, brilliant pain. Like walking over flaming charcoal with a three-inch nail embedded in your heel. Ooh, what, what level is that? 15. It goes up to 15. <laughs> yeah, level one is a honeybee. Oh, that's not the one about like being bit. That's I just picked clicked a random image on you know, Google Maps being that Google Maps, Google search being like, oh, you know, what what is the description? Because that's what I'm looking for here. You know, very good. Yeah, let's not get stung by bolt ants. That sounds bad. I, I'm guessing that's how they got their name. It feels like getting shot. Hey. Are you ready for another topic? Yeah. So, Rachel, your topic is if humans got an upgrade, what changes would you want to make? For example, no pooping. Only four hours of sleep. Yeah, this is... I've seen this kind of poster a couple of times. Like, what would humans 2.0 have? And they usually have, like, cute things like, you know, eyelashes no longer break off and embed themselves in their eyeballs. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. That That's happened to me, and I, it's an unpleasant experience. Have you seen the um, the infographic of the, the human that evolved to survive car crashes? Yeah, I, I hate it. <laughs> it's, it's pretty bad. It's really bad. It just seems like an uncomfortable way to live. <laughs> and Natalie, do you know the thing we're talking about? No. Let me see if I can find it. Oh, oh, gee. Okay. Yeah. So go ahead and describe what you see. Oh, a thing on a couch that's kind of like it evolved from a necessity of being in car crashes. Uh-huh. It's kind of depressing. <laughs> I like how they put it on the couch. Uh-huh. Because that's where humans go. On, on couches. It's our, like, natural habitat. I'm on a couch right now. <laughs> Looks very comfortable. Yeah. 
So this, the, we're looking at a thing that has, um, I'm not sure what all the nipples are. <laughs> I think those are like just decorative, but um, the skull is like, just imagine like if all the bones in the skull just like expanded in volume, like to be twice as big. And then the face receded into the skull to be protected by like the outer rim. Yeah, he he looks a little bit like a uh, snub-nosed monkey. I'm at rodentrack.com on an article about car culture, and the the illustration of this man on the couch is uh, is the caption is Graham getting ready to binge watch the newest season of Orange Is the New Black. <laughs> so so we know what kind of TV he likes. So with Rachel's question, does that mean uh, enhancements or changes would physically make us look different too? Or can we keep how we look and just have the changes? I always assumed it would be like not huge physical changes. It might be some like minor things like having like detachable boobs would be pretty cool. You just like be like, I don't want to deal with them today. I'm gonna leave them at home. <laughs> Lots of people be like, I don't want to deal with this part of my body today. I'm just going to, like, leave it at home. Like, I have a stuffy nose. I'm just going to, like, leave my nose at home. Or, like, this <laughs> ear really hurts. Or I'm having, like, a terrible hair day. I'm just going to take off my hair and, like, leave it here. Don't worry about it. So, do you want to be a Mr. Potato Head? Yes. Oh, that's that's a grazing. Sounds like a good time. <laughs> but also, like, I don't know. There's just, like, some uncomfortable things. Like, you know, like, farting. Don't really need that in my life, you know. Mm-hmm. It would be just didn't fart. That'd be cool. Like it's embarrassing moments in like middle school and stuff, or you know, you fart in class, or with laughs and nose. They're like, oh, it's so stinky. I can't believe you did that. I'm just like, well, never come back to school. I guess I had a good run though. <laughs> Thirteen, life is over. I-, I wouldn't mind also sleeping less. I do want to sleep. It's nice taking a break and just be able to like space out and like not be around. I, that was the first thing I thought of was that I don't want to sleep ever. Okay, that's fair. I don't. I like doing it once in a while. It's like nice to take a break. But also, I don't want anybody else to know that I don't sleep because if they do, my employer is going to want another eight hours a day out of me. Yeah, right? Yeah, that's kind of like one of the fears. Like if we didn't sleep, like what would it be like? Would our just... We've already spent like a third of our life asleep, and that seems like too much. But like four hours, that's like doable. It's like a rest. You get like most of the like, you know, midnight to 4 a.m. sort of dealio. That'd be, that'd be okay. I'd be okay with that, I think. Yeah. Just a little sleep. <laughs> but like, uh, there's other things too. Like, um, I'd be cool if we could like regrow parts. That's like the opposite of what I said earlier. It's like, I wish I could take off parts and also be like regrow parts, lose fingers or limbs or eyeballs, whatever. I don't want to get too like grim about it. But if they grew back, that'd be pretty sweet. Like for like a salamander. It'd be like a renewable source of food too, because you could just eat whatever you take off. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh that's intense. <laughs> uh, Natalie, did you have a, I don't, did you already answer the question of, of what, what change you would, you would make? I think I would just remove having to poop and eat. Would you Would you go like solar powered? Yeah, like photosynthesis. You just oh sure exist. Okay, so the the physical change that would happen there would be that you would be green. Ha. <laughs> that wouldn't be Are so you, bad. Sounds yeah, that'd nice. be fine. Sounds fun. <laughs> uh, all right, all right. Which What's the most fun color to be? Transparent. Oh. <laughs> that reminds me of like when you'd ask people in school like what's your favorite color people would say clear 
or rainbow. <laughs> like, you're not wrong, but it wasn't what I was thinking. <laughs> but no, you could be transparent. That'd be a pretty fun color. There's, like, transparent plants. Uh, it's like, you know, when electronics had that thing where all the electronics had to be transparent. I remember oh, yeah. that. Like, transparent people. Oh, you can see all the innards. It's like frogs you can see through. And those fish. Yeah. It's, like, so cool, but I'm also like, oh, it's a lot of bones. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can't. Re- I'm trying to remember what they called it. In, for example, the the translucent purple Game Boy, uh, they had they had a word like at- atomic purple. I think it was. I had that Game Boy. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would be atomic purple. Like I could be the. Uh, I'm just imagining being like the model for like a, a biology class. Like you could just see all my <laughs> organs, especially if I could like turn different organs translucent at will. And then, like, here, just check, okay, check out my pineal gland. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that pineal gland. Uh, Natalie, your topic is designer question. Is it bad representation to put a dog in a video game and then not let you pet it? How would dogs feel about this? I think dogs would hate it. They're like, but I'm a good boy or girl. I want pets. So do you think dogs think all dogs are good? Or would a dog be like, yeah, of course that dog doesn't get pet. That's a good question. I mean, they're yeah. descended from wolves, which are pack animals, right? And they're like, we're very into like, you know, keep the pack alive, let's share. You know, there's, I think it's been like pretty debunked at this point about how the whole alpha leader thing was all like, no, that was like in a zoo condition and these wolves weren't raised together. They didn't know each other. It didn't make any sense to be studying them this way. So it's like, okay, alpha thing doesn't make sense. But I've seen those like graphics online about how like wolf packs will travel where it's like, the oldest or those sick ones will go in the front because that sets the pace. And then the, um, the strongest wolves will be in the middle and at the very back. Mm-hmm. There'll also be like a chunk of like the younger wolves or the less experienced wolves near the back. But it's supposed to be like a pattern. So it's like the leaders keep an eye out to make sure things are okay. They're like ready to defend the team. So they like work together, you know? So I think dogs like probably to some degree want that for other dogs but i don't really know i'm not much of a dog person to be honest so i don't i don't know overall it might be like humans where you know you you feel that way about humans in your tribe but humans outside of your tribe definitely don't deserve pets <laughs> not sure but in the video game though i do like petting dogs can you pet the dog in electric zine maker i should put a dog in there just so you can pet it so that's a good idea. Good idea. The pet the dog tool. <laughs> or it could be a petting tool and then you could just have a, a sample zine, which is of a dog. You just pet all the things, the UI, the drawing area, the yeah. anything you want to pet, you can just pet it. Yeah, yeah. And it all, it, it all reacts and pushes back against <laughs> your hand. In a really weird way, it would enjoy that. I remember playing Breath of the Wild and... That has very nice dogs in it that you cannot pet, but you can feed them. And when you feed them, like, they little hearts appear above their heads. And it seems like such a weird omission to not let you be able to pet the dog. Uh, and I remember, like, like, there being tutorials on how to pet the dog in Breath of the Wild on YouTube. And they were just people desperate to pet these dogs. And, like, desperate enough that they were claiming that that heart meant, okay, that, that heart means you pet it. That heart that icon that appeared, that represents petting. I'm just going to believe this and try to convince you. 
It's so interesting how people get desperate to want to do something as basic as that in a video game. And it seems like such an oversight for designers because like GTA has this really adorable dogs, the new, the next gen one. And like, it's so upsetting that you can't just pet them. You can hit them or stomp them, but you can't pet them. <laughs> and like I went online just to figure out, can I pet these dogs? It seems like it's so dumb that you wouldn't be able to. And everyone's asking that question. Yeah. I feel like the GTA modding scene is pretty robust. I wonder if someone's added that. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, I remember people being disappointed about Breath of the Wild that you could pet the dogs. But you can, like, sort of play with them. Like, if they start spinning around chasing their tail and you, like, crouch down and start spinning around, they like you. The, like, little hearts yeah. come above their head. And I was just like, oh, you can play with the dogs. Yeah. It's pretty cute. In Mario Odyssey, you can't, I don't think you can pet the dog, but you can throw your hat and the dog will fetch the hat. Love it. That's pretty good. Ready for another topic? Yes. Yes. So my topic is the cool S and the alphabet shovel. Are you guys familiar with the cool S? Yes. No. It's a, I, I'm sure you, you would recognize it if you saw it. It's a particular way to draw an S-like shape where you start with six vertical oh, yeah, lines yeah. and then, yeah, yeah, yes. This is a, uh, the sort of thing that like was a meme in among school children for a very long time, like at least for decades. And no one really has been able to track down the origin of it. Just like the, the idea of drawing this, it, it really seems to be like, if you don't really know how to draw, you can still make this shape really easily. And feel like you did something, you drew a neat thing. And I think that's how it propagates. Uh, but I watched a, a, a YouTube video trying to dig into the origins of this thing. And they didn't really, as far as I know, come up with any, anything definitive. Although they did find a, um, a 19th century engineering textbook that has a shape that was extremely similar to it. Ooh. So, that was fun. But... What I wanted to actually talk about was that the, the creator of this video used the term alphabet shovel to refer to their keyboard <laughs> while they were researching, <laughs> at, which is just a, such a fantastically evocative way to talk about typing. Mm. Like they're, they're digging for information with their alphabet shovel. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of uh, the cool S, growing up where I was, we knew it as Stushy. Yeah, I've heard that one too. Uh, that video came up with a link to Stushy, which was that not as an origin, but like apparently they gave an interview, like a representative of that company gave an interview where that symbol showed up prominently in graffiti in the background. Huh. So, there is a link uh, and that may be why, why it became the Stussy S. Yeah, I'm looking it up on uh, Google right now, and apparently it's also a skincare line from India. Interesting. Yeah. I'm just curious, so I'm looking stuff up. My alphabet shovel's right here, <laughs> so might as well use it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if the keyboard is an alphabet shovel, then what's the mouse? It's There's no letters on it, so it can't be an alphabet anything. I'm trying to think of something clever and alliterative to say and I am failing. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have anything good. It's another one of those things where I come up with, I'll come up with a great response at 1am. Yeah, you can just like text me, be like 
Rachel, I got it. This. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's so good. If only it was <laughs> five hours ago. <laughs> right. Or we could, uh, I'll do a bunch of cheering now, and then you record yourself saying whatever you say at 1 p.m., and then just interject it in editing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'll record with as different a room tone as possible. <laughs> Perfect. I am I'm fascinated by um, so much of this sort of thing is completely undocumented because researchers don't really care that much seemingly or haven't historically cared about schoolyard games or the way children interact with each other. It's really, really hard. It's just so poorly documented. It's really hard to to track down that stuff. It's amazing that everybody seems to know this thing in many, many different countries. Uh, and the the fact that it's so widespread would seem to indicate a very like a distant historical origin, but someone must have invented it. Well, to take off with kids, it has to be also really cool source, like some obscure Japanese video game or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm like remembering now just drawing it. Well, I, I drew a lot as a kid, like even though I could draw as a kid, I also like wanted to fit in. So I would like draw all over notebooks and stuff. Right. And I'm like, how did I first learn how to do this? And honestly, it was probably like, kindergarten or the first grade boy howdy i do not remember <laughs> do you know the um the, the the hand motion you make when you're when you're singing itsy bitsy spider yes where that represents the spider uh-huh i don't know if i did this as a kid but i had to relearn like how do you make that motion like you know when i was singing to my child when i was 40 years old <laughs> like it it took me several iterations of the song like and we would sing it like once a day so like it wasn't like a, it wasn't a lot of time to figure it out but it it took several days because i had to it took me a few iterations of the song to figure out like how to place my hands together and the trick the trick being that um your two hands are oriented opposite each other like you start out with uh, um one hand rotated 180 degrees from the other and then you can pivot them each around the other one and somebody invented that too yeah i guess that is more natural to me because it's like okay it's a children's rhyme and you're trying to like mimic the movements of a spider going up the water spout right like the fingers don't move in the right way really to do a spider correctly right right doesn't look quite human it's easy a small child could do it because meant for babies like really little kids and like doing like, you know, like cooking your thumbs together, wiggling your four, your other eight fingers. So like a spider is like, it's a little complicated for like a really little kid, but going like doing the back and forth, like finger motion to imitate the spider going up the water spout is easier. I think, you know, it's like better, better coordination exercise for them. I feel it's a really uh, effective, like abstraction of it, of that sort of motion. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's about right. All right, Natalie, your topic is, is it morally conscientious to, na to make sourdough, name it, and basically form a bond with, the w with it the way you would a pet and then eat it? Is it okay to eat something you've named and deeply care about? That's a tough one because it's like, I think the way you traditionally make sourdough, like, correct me if I'm wrong, because I was given some sourdough starter at the beginning of all of this current situation. 
And the next day I immediately dropped it on the floor and broke the glass it was in. So I was like, whoops, I guess this isn't for me. But you like, you feed it like once a week, right? And you're supposed to like throw out half of it and then like feed it and then like throw out half of it and feed it or something like that, right? And until it gets to a certain size and you like make bread with it. I know I've never really made bread. I don't really know how this goes. I was really excited to try, but. Aren't you supposed to like measure how healthy it is by like how many bubbles it makes when you feed it? Maybe. You know, I never got to that step. I just got, I just got the starter, and then I immediately killed it by you dropping need to on the put craft. Put it in a plastic container instead. Oh yeah, that would be good. But I had um, a glass mason jar, and I was like, "This will be my baby's new home." I hadn't even named it yet, to be honest. <laughs> but it'd been like Gerald or something. That's a good name for sourdough. But got got to be Gerald. But I don't think you use the whole thing at once, even when you like cook it and eat it. So it's just like a piece of Gerald. Yeah, but it's it's still Gerald. It's true, but it's similar. Like my parents, a bunch of fruit trees, and like right now they're making a ton of fruit. You know, they have like nine billion peaches, and the peaches are a piece of their fruit trees, which they have named. Each of them has a name, but it's not like the whole tree. So it's just like a piece of it. Yeah, well, it's it's like uh, it's like the alternate reality where you can cut off a body part and then eat it. I don't know. Does the sourdough want to be eaten, do you think? If it were to be made into bread, would that be make it happy? Well, it's, I think it loves the bread making process. Like, it's got, it's, got, it's throwing a party in there while the, while the dough rises. I feel like for all the types of fermentation can be really conflicted because if you don't name it, that means you don't love it and you're not taking as good care about it, of it and it, it doesn't end up as good, but also naming it and then you get all in your head about taking that good care of it and maybe not eating too much of it and leaving enough of it so it can keep propagating and all that. It seems like an emotional journey. Maybe you have to give it a name of like someone you don't like. <laughs> I think there's a alternate reality where we eat the dead and that's just considered a noble good thing to do like don't you want to be useful don't you want your body to be useful after you die oh man passed passed on to all your friends or whatever <laughs> yeah but but in in the similar way that like there are some services where they will like they have the idea of like burying you and then planting a tree over your body where this this tree in a sense becomes it's what you become what your what your remains become i think there's a there's a kind of a beauty to that and similarly like if your friends eat your body your friends and family they all in a sense become you in a similar way to, to, to the way they're you already are a part of them because they have memories of you this is like making me think of the movie Midsommar. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> which, which part of it specifically? I don't know. The... So I can think of a couple parts. <laughs> yeah, like the eating part or whatever. Oh, yeah. Did they, did they eat human body parts in that movie? It seemed implied that one of the people that tried to get away ended up in the pies. I don't know. I felt like that oh, okay. was being implied. Yeah. Oh, I know like at one point... Um, like one of the uh, the cultists stuck one of her hairs in a pie meant for one of the visitors because she wanted to bone him, and that was like right. an invitation yeah. to like, hey, come bone me. Here's one of my hairs. I didn't quite pick up on the eating people the pie vibe, but the hair thing was pretty obvious. 
but it could have definitely happened because that movie was um very dense and it was certainly a lot. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't know it was a horror movie when I went to go see it, and I was like, <laughs> well, I was not emotionally prepared for that at all. <laughs> There was a lot to unpack. Yeah, like someone's like, someone told me it was a relationship drama, and I was just like, okay, that's <laughs> really my speed, but sure. And then I was just like, oh. <laughs> that's so much of it is, though. Like, yeah. <laughs> but that's a hell of a way to describe to someone, because I usually don't like know anything about movies. I go and see them pretty blind. I don't know anything. I like it that way, actually. I'm like, oh, what a surprise. Like, I didn't know JoJo Rabbit was about Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> I literally did it. I'm like, I have no idea what this movie's about, and I'm not gonna look it up before I go see it. But like, one summer, someone told me it was a relationship trauma, so I was like, oh, okay, I'm ready. And then I was just like, oh no, <laughs> I wasn't ready. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rachel, your topic is what's a terrible food from your childhood that you love? Oh man, definitely a few of those. Like just some like weird comfort foods. When my brother and I were sick, my mom used to frequently make us a packet of. Soy sauce flavor of instant ramen and stirred an egg. Oh, yeah. And that was like our sick food. And I still do that now if I'm feeling sick or crappy. I'm like, I'm going to make a packet of ramen and stir it in an egg. I also usually put in a fistful of spinach and two eggs because I'm an adult and need to eat more now. But still like kind of a comfort thing. Even though I know it's like a salty carb blast. It's not exactly healthy, but... I feel like the, the egg makes it technically healthy. Yeah, the eggs and the fistfuls of spinach help, but it's also like, it's incredibly salty. Like, I think it has more than your daily recommended amount of sodium in it, and and it's really carby, so at least for me, I usually feel hungry a few hours afterwards, but if I just want some something that I can cook in like four minutes and it's comforting, that's a, that's a way to do it. But I've definitely eaten worse things than that. I think, um, I believe people in the army call it shit on a shingle growing up that was impolite so we didn't call it that we called it cowboy special but really what it is it's like chipped beef in like a cream sauce like a bechamel bechamel sauce and you like put it over a piece of toast that sounds amazing i don't think i've had that yeah it's good it's not great (laughs) it's not like it's not healthy either because it's like you know chipped beef it's real salty it's got a lot of Actually, I don't really know what goes in the sauce. I'm not sure what kind of sauce it is. I haven't had it in years, but that was the thing my mom used to make for my brother and I a lot, especially over the summer. Because I think it like, came together real fast, and she was like, I'm busy. Here you go. Here's your cowboy special. And then uh, it was years <laughs> later, I realized it was called shit on a shingle, and it's army food. Because she liked to make it as a comfort food for her, because her dad used to make it. He was in the military for years, and that's probably where he learned to make it. But he was like a very proper band it would not swear so can't call it shit on a shingle it's cowboy special (laughs) (laughs) but yeah or sos also known as sos i used to absolutely hate mushrooms like if i had to eat mushrooms as a kid i would eat them crying because they were just like some horror movie not i didn't know what horror movies were but they just seemed like the worst most horrible weirdest food ever and now i'm okay with mushrooms so yeah (laughs) I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Mushrooms are great. I'm a big fan. What are you What are you feeding Marley? She eats everything. I don't know what is up with this bird. The, la- the last parrot I had was a parrotlet called Monkey, and he would eat only seeds and was really afraid of anything wet. This one eats everything you're eating and wants to even eat the unhealthy stuff and will even want to have the alcohol, and sh- parrots shouldn't have alcohol, and it becomes like a <laughs> battle to keep her out of the alcohol and keep her out of things and just eat this. So it's really cute. That's delightful. Wait, well, when you said he's a f- your, your, um, 
your parrot monkey was afraid of wet things. Does that mean he like wouldn't eat slices of fruit? Yeah, you had to hold it for him and coo at him and like, it's okay, you can eat it. Wow. Like, do they need fruit to have a healthy diet? Yeah, they should eat more fruit and vegetables than seeds because in the natural environment, they don't get a lot of seeds. Wow. Is this true of uh, like parakeets as well? Uh, I didn't look a lot into parakeets, but it seems like, yeah, parrots in general need like a lot of fresh foods. Yeah. Wow. What about you, Jim? Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, I would make this thing that was just Swiss cheese on white bread and then put it in the microwave to melt the cheese. And it was the most, like the simplest carbon fat blast that you can imagine. <laughs> uh, but I loved it. And I'll still uh, occasionally like, you know what? If I'm like, if I'm like, if I'm stress eating, you know, if I'm stressed out and I'm like, I fucking need some mouth pleasure right now, I'll, I'll do that. And, uh, and it's like, I, I won't say it's good, but like some part of me is deeply satisfied by that combination of food. Yeah, I get it. Memories, right? They're important. Yeah. Yep. And that's, and that's I'm sure that's part of it, you know. It's, this is something I ate when I was nine and making it <laughs> in my grandma's microwave. Ah. I like uh, spaghetti with ketchup. Just like those uh, two things. Oh, sure. Yeah. I like the idea of just feeding your parrot whatever it is you eat. <laughs> because that's, what, that's how we basically have... We never gave Winston baby food. Really? We would just... Yeah. I, I think we, I mean, we might have like once. But uh, we've always just given him like little scraps of what we've, we, what we've been eating. As soon as, as soon as he started eating food, as opposed to just drinking milk, mm -hmm. we would always just give him what, whatever we were eating for dinner or whatever. And he was always fine with it. You know, like there are certain things that you're not supposed to feed babies like honey mm -hmm. and like certain sized things are choking hazards. Like for example, hot dogs are exactly the right thickness to choke on. Oh, I've heard that's why people <laughs> cut up hot dogs for child. That yeah. makes sense. Like, I keep seeing pictures of that and I'm always like, but why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, same deal with grapes. Oh, do you have to slice them in half? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What about like blueberries? Are those too small? Blueberries are probably fine. Okay. I'm eating a lot of blueberries, so I'm thinking about that. But yeah, he, he was always fine with it. Like, I've heard the argument that like you have to wait till they have teeth, but like, you don't chew, like you get your front teeth first and you don't chew with those. You know, you chew with your molars, which you don't get till much later. So, like, you just, you know, put it, he puts it in his mouth and mashes it up and loves it. Nice. Well, and, and I mean, nowadays he's got actually teeth. So, <laughs> like, but in the past, give him a slice of avocado if you're worried about, <laughs> if you're worried that he, he can't crunch on something. Well, I want a slice of avocado right now. It sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> And that's all the time we have for Topic Lords. Uh, Rachel, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Rachel underscore Sala. That's R-A-C-H-E-L underscore Sala, S-A-L-A. It's like salad minus the D. That's, that's a good slogan. <laughs> Thank you. And Natalie, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? You can also find me on Twitter as Alien Melon or search itch.io for Alien Melon. All right. Thanks so much for being on. Yeah. Thanks for having me.
It was lovely talking with you, Natalie. Thank you for being here. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.